0: Hello, and thank you for joining us. My name is Molly Carmichael with Zonda's inspirational leadership series, joined by the industry's best in all things real estate. These leaders are literally designing our future for many generations to come with new communities, home designs, technology, retail centers, infrastructure, and so much more. This series is about who they are, how they got started, who inspired them and their journey to the top. So let's get started. Thank you for joining us today. Today, we are joined by John Martin. As Jeff Myers describes John, he is a legend in our industry, and he is truly a legend in our industry. John is another great leader with humble beginnings that really worked hard to find success. Sincerely, he's well known for speaking throughout the country. He's won just about every home building word I can think of that exists in our industry. I couldn't even list them all. That could be an entire series by itself. So buckle up, get ready. This is a longer than normal interview, but it is a long legacy to share. It's worth it. And there's so much to learn from John. Stick with us for the entire thing. And if you like to learn like I do, you'll enjoy this this particular podcast. It's a great series of work and lessons learned to share. So please join me in welcoming John Martin. Hello, and thank you for joining us. I am here with the great uh, and very legendary John Martin. I've known John for for many years of my career, and so have many of you. Many of you have worked with John either as a developer, as a builder. Uh, He's been a consultant, very involved in ULI, and has worked all over the country. And we're going to talk to him about his career, all the things he's done, all the amazing people that he's actually worked with, some of the inspirational parts of not only John's career, but even some of the many notorious people that he's worked with. So John, thank you, welcome. Thank you for being here. This is such a pleasure (laughs) to be with you, I can't even tell you. My pleasure. So I'm gonna start out with, uh, as you look back at all of the positions you've held, the companies you've worked with, if you were to give yourself a title Mm -hmm. for the history of your career, what would you say your title is?
1: Well, as I look back over 60 years, I kind of keyed off one of my accomplishments. I felt was going out to Newhall Land and repositioning uh, that community there. Uh, what that brought me to was thinking that maybe my title was be a strategic planner and a community creator. I like that. And the strategic use the word strategic because I was looking into the future as well as just dealing with the day-to-day tactical problems of being in a recession and how do you uh, extricate yourself from that and then move forward to, to invent the future with vision and creativity, I would say. So uh, I just feel a uh, strategic planner looking forward and a community creator, which was a big umbrella you know, that would incorporate uh, diversified housing programs and planned communities, and so that's what I came up with. <clears throat>
0: <clears throat> well, let's look back again. You've been a builder, a developer, and you've worked with so many different uh, builders and developers throughout mm-hmm. the country. High level, what companies have you worked with, and tell us your roles with all those companies throughout your career?
1: Well, I started in sales uh, with uh, a, on a project uh, built by John Lusk. So my first I would say boss or my first company would have been the Lusk and son developers and particularly with John Lusk. Uh, From there I took the initiative when I was a salesperson to go beyond my job description and create a consumer study that nobody had asked me to do. As a result of that, I was recruited away from uh, Lusk after I had gone from being a salesperson to a general sales manager to a uh, marketing executive with an emphasis on research um, so i was recruited away by sandy goodkin who was one of the uh, original market research and, co- and uh, consumer research companies in in our business way back when
0: definitely one of the greats.
1: yeah he um, that exposure uh, Came really from the initiative that I took as a salesperson to create a uh, a survey form and p- put that in the hands of my um, homeowners and to find out what they liked and what they didn't like about the houses that uh, they had bought.
0: Um, now, Sandy worked for a bunch of different builders, or yeah, how he, did that work?
1: Well. What he did, his office was in the valley, and he was doing market studies for builders in primarily in L.A., San Diego, and Orange County, and he was looking for somebody to set up an office in Orange County. So, because so many of the prominent builders in those days uh, were building houses in 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 Orange County, got it. So. Yeah, he set me up in an office in the Dean Brothers building on Beach Boulevard way back in 1963 because I had actually started in the business in 1959. So nice. I have had a long career here. Nice. Um, that gave me exposure to most of the uh, prominent builders in that early era, in the, in the early 1960s. Uh, one day he uh, asked me to uh, go to the Orange County Airport and I- interview uh, a young developer, and I opened the door and there was young Donald Bren. And so I was able to do the market study for the Mission Viejo community uh, in, in about 1963, I would say. So That's great. That, ed- that ended up being a relationship with Bren because he was selling lots to outside builders, one of them being the Dean brothers and they had created this uh, garden kitchen concept, which uh, was my first understanding that even in a d- depression in a down market, uh, somebody could create a concept that would sell uh, despite being at the bottom of the market in, in a very bad recession. Uh, the brand was smart enough because the Dean brothers uh, had, uh, opened a project in the diamond bar area in East Los Angeles County. And here in 1963, when there was 200,000 building permits in the six Southern California counties, um, that had dropped by 1966 to 50,000. So we were really in a declining market, but the Dean brothers were actually on one project uh, in the diamond bar area we were able to sell twice as fast as eight other builders combined In other words the builders were selling one a month when he was selling 16 each builder was selling one a month or eight and he the Dean brothers were selling 16 houses and this was an absolute wow. in the bottom of the uh, uh, Market at the time. Well, Bren was smart enough to say, okay I'm opening up the Mission Viejo community and I need a builder that would um, spark traffic coming to the community and would sell fast and so he got the dean brothers to be the first builders in the mission viejo community back when design really mattered and that was what it intrigued me because brent at the time was about uh, some 10 to 20 years younger than most of the prominent builders that were in the market at that time so that's so great that you know it really intrigued me and i was really drawn to uh, the fact that he was creating desirable places where people really wanted to live.
0: That's pretty good. So where'd you go after that? So how did that all evolve?
1: So uh, uh, G- William Lyon was the president of the BIA at the time. And he actually, because I had done some work for him working out of the Dean Brothers office, um, uh, he asked me to be the feature speaker. Out of that uh, became came an offer to go to work for the who became the general, General William Lyon? That's
0: right. Um, All these great icons yeah, from the past. Yeah. This is great.
1: <laughs> became an offer from Bill Lyon uh, to come to work for him because uh, he realized that, that the market had shifted, that Cinderella gingerbread houses weren't going to be, even though he was the largest volume builder in Orange County at the time, that he needed somebody to come in and redesign. Uh, the products that he was building, which he was the, one of the largest builders in the state, in both in Southern California and in Northern California. At the same time, Donald Brand offered me a job to come and be his first marketing director. <laughs> but believably, you know, I thought he was too small. And so I w- oh, that's so funny. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, so I went to work for General Lyon for two years from 1965 to 1967, traveling all over the state hiring architects and creating um, new product. Um, I made some mistakes, but I would say one of the best accomplishment was when the general said to me, we got to create more affordable housing. So I hired the architect and we counted nails to get the Get the cost down, and it became California classics. And they, uh, they were four thousand of those houses were sold uh, across the state. <clears throat> Excuse me. So the general was smart enough to figure out that he had to dive down to do more affordable housing, which is no different than where we are today. You know, we've got to figure out how to design new product to be more affordable, and it probably would be at uh, you know, moderately higher densities. Well, by 19, 1967, uh, you know, the, the market was improving and I had uh, redesigned, helped redesign the products for the William Lyon company. Um, Brand left the Michigan Viejo company in mid-67 and Phil Riley had taken over as president of the Michigan Viejo company. And uh, Phil recognized that he needed uh, more Uh, marketing orientation as he took, he's an attorney and he didn't really know that much about product and so on. So he said to me one day, well, if Don Bren, you know, trusted you to design houses or coordinate the design, help coordinate the design of houses like the La Paz homes, I'll, I trust you to come to work. And so I joined the Mission Viejo Company as vice president of marketing and sales with product design responsibility on January 1st of 1968. So at the time, the uh, Mission Viejo Company was really, uh, they had gone into the building business with, with La Paz Homes, and they were one of the largest volume builders in Orange County I was going to say the they were a
0: developer and a builder right
1: yeah well they started off to be just a, a developer a developer that would sell lots to builders as they did uh, selling to the Dean brothers mm-hmm. um, but you know now was the time to put more emphasis on by 1967 and 1968 um, Bren was building houses in Newport Beach that were was uh, draining people off they were buying. Either in Newport Beach with a project like uh, Harbor View Homes, or they were buying you know, some of the move-up housing that had come to be built right out of the doorstep, or you know right outside uh, Mission Viejo. So uh, Riley was smart enough to say, "We got to put more emphasis on product here," which which they did. Uh, so I was able to spend uh, the next four years from 19. 19- to 1971, 1972, uh, running the marketing and sales as we became the largest volume home builder in Orange County at the time. And um, by that that period of time, by 1968, uh, the La Paz Homes product, Dean had already sold out and the La Paz Homes um, product was becoming somewhat dated with the advent of more competition coming into the market area. So I, you know, when you look at some of the accomplishments, I think that I was able to have during that period of time, um, conceived a product line called uh, Madrid Homes. And Madrid Homes, I would say that's probably my best effort in terms of identifying a market opportunity, using creative imitation again, in other words, figuring out what the best selling houses are and then evolve them. and so I'll be darned, over 10 years, uh, 2,700 homes were sold out of this. I mean, it, they changed the product some along the way, but it was still Madrid houses, Madrid, España, Madrid, Del Lago, Madrid, whatever. They just kept, kept building that same uh, product line for the next 10 years.
0: So that's interesting that Mission Viejo started their own builder, much like their rent company does today mm-hmm. with Irvine Pacific. So, yeah you know, taking those practices right there with you. Was the market good at that time in the late 60s? Or was it still a, you know, no, a it challenging was, market? It, it, it
1: was, you know, extremely competitive, you know, and, and that's why I say I was brought in here to try and figure out what products might be uh, possible to create here to be able to keep the volume up. Well, you asked me you know what companies that I have worked with over a period of time, and I think chronologically here, So by 1971, uh, Philip Morris Corporation was negotiating to buy the Mission Viejo Company. And the senior executives with the Mission Viejo Company, we were all in our late 20s and early 30s. But we could see the bureaucracy of a Philip Morris coming in and buying the uh, Mission Viejo Company. So many of us left. And I was one of them that thought I might be smart enough to be able to general, be a general manager and run a division, which I did for, yeah. So I was able to uh, go to work um, over a division that had uh, 50 people in it. Uh, The company, we had a great first year uh, in 1972 and uh, the management of leadership housing systems wanted to send me uh, to Florida uh, you know, because they had bought Ken Baring's uh, inventory of lots down there. Mm. Uh, but at the time, my son Tom was leading Michigan Viejo High School with Marco O'Meara living next door to the Southern California State Championship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I wasn't about to take him out of the, you know, Rockstar out, golfing, out of being right? here Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and go to Florida, which was a good decision. Of course, that didn't sit too well with the management of leadership. But I was offered a job as a division president with American Housing Guild to start a division in in the Orange County market area, which I did, and then that lasted until '74 when the next recession came, and and it was a big one. And it was a big one. That was uh, that, that. That was the whole interest rate. Debacle, that you know, interest right? rate went crazy, and so therefore, you know, I'm out of a job, but not for long because the uh, Irvine company called and said, um, we're in the process of introducing this new community called Woodbridge, which is of interest because they introduced a lake environment in 1976 at the same time Mission Viejo opened their lake. And uh, Ken Agate was the marketing, and I consider Ken really to be probably the premier marketing executives in our industry. He you know, was pretty special. He was brilliant uh, genius at creating diversified housing programs, which he did with the opening of Woodbridge in 1976. Now I'm going to work for Irvine Pacific, the subsidiary of the um, Irvine company. And, uh, I, and I get involved in the, in the projects that the, uh, w- Urbine Pacific is designing at the time, and one of them was Woodbridge Estates. This is where another lesson learned here that you really can't create good design by design by committee.
0: It can be challenging. I've lived it yeah, too. Nah, yeah,
1: I mean, and so I, one day, in fact, I went to the Rick Neiman, who ended up in, uh, in Rancho Santa Margarita. I went to his office, I said, how long we've we been into preliminary design here for these projects in Woodbridge and, and Turtle Rock and he said, well, we've spent about $600,000 in meetings because the design review process at Irvine Pacific was, you know, the architect present his plans and then 10 people would sit around in a room and critique it and nobody took the essence of what the decisions were. And so I said to the president of Irvine Pacific, give me a project manager, we'll go to the architect's office and we'll sit there until we figure out that we have uh, preliminary designs that you can approve, which we did accomplish, and I got involved in Woodbridge Estate. So the the great idea that Ken had of, of creating a mansion concept on the main Loop Street, the which Loop Street in, in, uh, in Woodbridge was a good idea, but he was on the corporate level and couldn't implement it, so the the job came to me to implement that. Um, The architect that had been working on that plan was burned out by that time. I had to go get a different architect. We took the project manager uh, to the uh, architect's office, and within two weeks, we had the design concept for um, Woodbridge Estates completed. When I check with the resale agents in Woodbridge, they say, Woodbridge Estates is still one of the most popular product concepts that people want to live in, in in that community.
0: Woodbridge is today, you know, seeing all the master plans and being involved in so many of them, Woodbridge is my favorite master plan on the Irvine Ranch, for sure.
1: But by, I would say, 1975 and 76, when I'm with uh, Irvine Pacific at, uh, at the Irvine Company, Uh, I'm really reflecting on the fact that being a developer and a home builder on my own had bitten me by that time since I- You were ready. You know, I was ready, so I started the John Martin Company and I was actually able to survive uh, for 12 years before the next downturn hit.
0: That was a tough time to go out on your own though, right? I mean- Well, 76
1: is when I really started out and that was, you know, Woodbridge was successful. You know, the lake was now there, Um, and so I had this run up until about 1984, and and that's when the market went crazy again, and so I found myself, you know, out on the street with, uh, you know, I'm being called to to join the Irvine Company again, which I did, and uh, that's where, like I say, that's where we met, and the reason Bren and the senior executives brought me in is because they had uh, achieved uh, entitlement for several hundred homes in Santiago Hills and Orange, uh, Tustin Ranch mm-hmm. in Tustin, uh, West Park in Irvine, mm-hmm. and the Newport Coast. But in joining, now, now we're now to 1986, and I've joined the uh, uh, Irvine Company as Vice President of Corporate Marketing. Yes. And the idea here was to create the diversified product programs for each one of these communities that I I mentioned here. Uh, It was very soon I really realized that the home builders, and that was Lion, and that was Fieldstone, and that was Standard Pacific, and that was Aiken's, knew more about the market than the Irvine company did, and as a result I really believe that they were out negotiating the Irvine company, believe it or not. The the builders were in control at the time. And uh, Bren one day says, John, I want you to go to Europe and I want you to study hillside development and uh, coastal projects along the Mediterranean. And so uh, with Roger Seitz, the planner and uh, Roland Osgood, head of development and our wives, we took off for Europe. and. we studied from Marbella all the way to Portofino. Uh, you know what what it was like, and we came up with some ideas here. And I, uh, in fact, I think you mentioned that you I think probably I put together helped me put put the presentation together, which I would give to any builder that was interested. And lo and behold, sitting in the front row was a builder, RGC, One and and uh, president. Uh, Hal Lynch taking notes, and he had been a professor of planning at uh, Long Beach State. And, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. No, no and, that's he, neat. and, he, and I, he was one of those guys who could draw the plans himself. Oh, uh, creative, they were so Creative good. genius here. So good. And uh, he said to me later, he says, John, the presentation that you gave inspired us to come out with a, uh, new product types, and there was a site left in West Park at the time. And so RGC went into competition with other builders and I'll be darned the highest land value that we had experienced up to that point was 580,000 an acre. And I'll be darned if RGC doesn't come in and more than doubling the land value with a project concept called uh, Cortabella uh, and their architect was McLaren Vasquez at the time. I came, we came back with all of these ideas on what the Newport Coast could be like, but through the process, the bureaucratic process at the Irvine Company at the time, the first phase of the Newport Coast ended up being, uh, like f- I think it was f- four or at least five of the six projects in that first phase, were single-family, detached, average of 4,400 square feet. Yeah, the houses, and the uh, and the price of a million four, mm-hmm. and this is where David Kovac in particular and my whole marketing team was saying. Uh, that isn't going to fly in this first phase. And so, uh, wanting to be truthful and, and a contribution to the company here, you know, in an executive retreat, I said, we're going to have some problems here in 1990. Because where the market yeah. was, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, there was just too many expensive detached houses. And so we are recommending some attached houses, partially inspired you know, by our trip to Europe, but also trying to get to lower price points. And uh, it didn't, it didn't fly. It was, uh, that was 1990. uh, And it it was about two or three years later, or three or four years later, that Taylor Woodrow stepped up and built a project called uh, Tavari and Alteza, both Love were those. attached. The, Beautiful. The yeah. Travari the was uh, very low-priced, you know, and yep. attracted a, a market of... Like and particularly, to the acre. Yeah, particularly single uh, single female buyers that were just loved living on these courts, you know, for the sense of security. And then the Alteza was a move-down product that was attached, Big. that was, you know, at, attracting people that didn't want to live in a detached house anymore and but worked. much
0: lower in density but still sold phenomenally oh, they, well yeah they were, they were tremendously like six to the successful
1: the acre. so it was like what we recommended that the company didn't accept at the time was proven up within three to four uh, years after that with the uh, introduction of the Trevari and the Altezza projects
0: well, and I think to your point John true to the coastal setting that you studied so much right yeah. I mean that coastal village so much of it's attached right yeah. and it I, you know, those are some of the most beautiful communities that I like the best on the coast. Yeah. Um, too much Well, anyhow, really like detached th- is not my favorite,
1: honestly. It was time for me to move on. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I had already- The battling fu- of I, I trying yeah, to get the yeah, coast.
0: Yeah, I remember those days, yeah, yes.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyhow, here the market crashes. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and uh, lo and behold, I get a job offer from Newhall Land and Farming uh, to come out there because they were not selling any houses at all and they needed to get out of the building business because the products in Valencia uh, were dated. And so uh, they hired me to come out and I immediately said, well, that's a problem figuring out how to sell the inventory of what we've had. But there would be situations, and there was a situation here, where they had 2,400 of just three lot sizes with no segmentation at all. Uh, one Another of the
0: f- tertiary location, <laughs> just go in single family detached. <laughs> yeah, right? one of the
1: first things I did was say, well, I knew Los Abanicos, which was the 12 to 14 to the acre single family detached courthomes uh, was going to be built. So why don't we bring that out to Valencia, which we did, you know and so this was by 1992 or whatever and i'll be darned if that project didn't become the fastest selling project in all of uh, la county at the time and so it's
0: amazing what a little affordability will do for you yeah
1: Cute. so you know to fast forward here we created an entire plan for the build out of 18,000 based on lifestyle uh, programming you know uh, there was different different types of uh, communities that give the consumer a lot of different choices other than single family detached lots, which was what we had when I went out there in, in 1991. Because, you know, you asked me in some of the questions, what were your biggest challenge, you know, in your career here? And it was really getting people to embrace change. In fact, right. I even, you know, had to retain a psychologist here saying, why is it? That people <laughs> resist change to the extent that they do. And he says, "Well, you really need to understand here that people associate change with loss—the fear of they're going to lose something. They know what they've got, and even though it may not be working, you know they stick with it because they don't know what the alternative is." Well, uh,
0: and all that. note, how do you make change? I mean, how do you really try to be? You know, you want to be respectful of the people you're working with, and, and they're all brilliant mm-hmm. people too. But at the same time, I mean, you, you've run the numbers, you've done the research, you've done all this stuff. Um, how do you really,
1: Churchill well, I think it, what we did make that change? What we did is first create a vision for what we wanted to create in the future, which uh, involved this diversified of villages and the diversification of the lifestyle projects within that. So there was a vision of what we were going to create there, which would be affordable housing for singles, and it would be move up housing at Woodlands, woodlands, and it would be the Creekside neo-traditional. I mean, there was a whole bunch of different opportunities for people to buy out there, which were a part of this vision.
0: And then, then, so after you left Newhall, is that when you started doing kind of consulting all over? Well, I went builders, down to developers. SC and
1: and uh, you know they were intrigued with what we had done in, in Valencia. So I taught there for a year, and then uh, all of a sudden the consulting work Just took naturally. off. You know, by 1997, uh, and so you know I had a, a thriving consulting business based on all the experience that I had had sure. going back to Mission Viejo and the Irvine Company and New and New Hall Land. Um,
0: and consulting is a lot of fun because you really not only that though but you really can pick your clients when you've done all the stuff that you've done and the other part of it too is is you know you're there to help them make change mm-hmm. right and, and i
1: got really involved in uh, the urban land institute and so i really realized that one of the things that turned me on was the teaching yeah. but then the consulting business was really thriving. And I was flying all over the country talking about, you know, in, in fact, it was in 19, when, it, when you asked me some big events that are important here, you know, I was asked to fill in for Chairman Tom Lee at a Urban Land Institute presentation uh, in Cleveland at the time. And so I stepped in for for Tom. And um, it was, the subject was Master Plant Communities 2010. Well, 1996, we're 15 years out here. I said, well, I know a little bit about doing plant communities because of Mission Viejo, the Irvine Ranch, and... Just a little uh, bit, yeah. Yeah, a little bit of Valencia here. And on the panel was a senior executive for Disney Development Company building uh, Celebration. And... uh, I remember
0: they came to the Irvine
1: Company uh, Yeah, the 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 company, you know, had... uh, Disney, of course, you know, that you'd expect them to do it, but they spent 15 years with Yankilowicz Consumer Studies and mm-hmm. so on. And they came up with four cornerstones for building future communities. And it was education, lifelong learning, technology, a sense of place and health and wellness. I remember them to these days, to these days. And I said, wow, and then- what a brilliant breakthrough this thing is to, you know, base future community planning on cornerstones, which are as relevant today as they were then. For sure. But, of course, that didn't quite, you know, that wasn't enough for me because I knew there was more granular <laughs> refinement to that. And I'll be darned, it evolved to 12 guiding principles, uh, which uh, we made a presentation to the planning director in the, in the uh, city of Las Vegas, or you know, in, well, in the Las Vegas market area. And I'll be darned if I didn't see the planning director say, well, this is exactly what we want in our city and you, you go talk to uh, Public works, and you talk to fire, and you talk to planning, and so on and so forth. And she was just so excited about this. And so I talked to son Tom, and I said, "Hey, here's my 12 guiding principles that evolved from the four cornerstones." He says, "Well, what about the, you know, the community developer as grand constructor of the process, and what about product diversification?" So so it became 33 guiding principles to creating communities in the 21st century, which I was able and we were able to use as a checklist when in some of the work we did across the country
0: i remember that list we're actually going to put that at the end of this um podcast so you'll have access to some of the things that john's talking to
1: well i hope you have a photo of the garden kitchen so so people know what that is because that was really i mean it was i mean the impression that it put on me of how one builder with one project can sell twice as fast as eight other builders in the same market area in a down market where permits are going from 200,000 to 50,000 over a period of three years. Uh, that, that idea, our challenge now as we go through a, a down market is what are we going to do? Well, we're going to have to create more affordable product solutions. And I think there's just going to be more multi-generational housing, you know, of people coming together to live under one roof. And I, I, I think you and I both agree that our best source of information is going out and talking to resale brokers and to talk to new home sales agents because the they're, list, they're listening to the people. And
0: well, and where you started. I mean, talk to the people that are gonna live in these homes. What do they want? What's important to them? What are we trying to solve for? Yeah. The, the resale agents will tell you what, what's selling. The customer will tell you why they'd move Mm -hmm. and and that's such a big part of it Um, which i love that that's the foundation of where you started we're going to go back a little bit farther in your life sort of from the very beginning um who were your mentors growing up who really uh, you're one of the hardest working people if not the hardest working person i i know in my lifetime Mm -hmm. quite frankly i think a lot of my work ethic came from working for you (laughs) and david for sure Mm -hmm. um and you know tell me a little bit about that or share that share that with the audience too i mean i i know you know very early on you've had that kind of fire i think from a young a young john
1: martin well i you know i was born in 1934 this is a long long time ago and when you look back on the the economy crashing in 1929 by 19 by, you know, four or five years later here, we're really at the the bottom of the market uh, when I'm born. And then 1939 uh, England, you know, comes to the support of uh, Poland and Mm -hmm. the war started 1941, Japanese bomb Pearl Harbor. And by 19, 45, 46. I'm 10 to 11 years old and all of this is going on.
0: What a crazy time to be growing up.
1: Yeah. And I, and I remember, I don't know what drew me to it, but I'd get on the bus as an 11 year old and I'd drive down to the pike in Long Beach and I'd watch newsreels of the war, you know. Wow. So, so wow. I mean, that's, you know, it's part of my fascination with World War II is what those impressions were, but it was a very insecure period. You sure. You know, my dad because, uh, you know, he had two kids, um, you know, I don't know what his jobs were and I hardly ever saw him. Um, and but he then worked he, hard. Then, and that he, was a
0: tough time to make it on anything.
1: Yeah. And so we've got all of this, these influences here of what's going on, down economy, didn't know what my dad was doing and, and then he passed away at 43 and I'm 13 years old. Wow. Yeah you know, and then wow. I I remember the the night he died you know we were saying well what's going to happen to us so it was you know, my oh, my easy. sister and me and uh you know so you talk about a driver here you know I,
0: the fire it, it was it
1: was by fear you know I was driven to do what I was doing and and I but you asked me if did I have any mentors. I had no mentors whatsoever. I had no idea what the business world was about. I had no idea what I wanted to be unless I was an athlete, and so I couldn't hit a curveball, and I didn't like getting hit in football, you know. So I ruled those out. Smart. But then I did find I was a fast runner, and I'll be darned. I had the third fastest time in the entire city of Los Angeles in the quarter mile. And uh, the coach, the, the track coach at UCLA, you know, saw my time and helped facilitate me to get into UCLA. So um, I'm running fast and it is, it is paying off here because it's helping me, you know, get into UCLA at, at this very early. Well, I'm only 17 at the time, but anyhow. so That's
0: fantastic. I, I actually love the fact, though, that you recognize that it literally going through all of the stuff that you went through, difficult times, I think adversity sometimes makes people. Mm-hmm. And I think that that fire to a large degree is what lit the fire in you. Yeah. Know, it was survival, yeah. but it also was, um, you know, you're going a million miles a minute to, to make it work. Yeah. Um, and, it, and the running probably helped with all of that too, I might add. <laughs>
1: My only claim to fame is I, you know, I I ran freshman track out there at UCLA, and I took second to a guy that actually won two gold medals in the Olympic Games in Tokyo. Yeah, but I mean, he beat me from here to the end of the block. (laughs) You didn't have to
0: share that. (laughs) (laughs) We can cut that out of the podcast. (laughs) That's awesome. That is really Yeah,
1: I'd say those very fear-driven Environment that I was in in my early youth, I think, motivated me. And then I'm out at UCLA, and we, my mother goes to work, you know, and she'd never worked in her life before. We don't have much money. I got a quick college twice, which I did, but I went down. You asked me some of these crazy jobs that I had, you know, where yep. I'm, I'm going down to work on assembly lines and uh, unloading boxcars 10 hours a week. And, uh, you know, what occurred to me was. There's a lot of people that are stuck in those kind of jobs for their entire life, and so I'm going to go back to school and I'm going to graduate, and I'm not going to have to be in that kind of situation. Because one of the jobs, you know, at General Motors is I mean we were undercoating cars, and the job was so bad that the guy would, <laughs> s- would stumble around in his in his <laughs> undercoating the the cars here, and uh, but I got the routine down. And I got to do something with this boring, repetitious job here, so somehow I picked up three vocabulary books, and I would put the vocabulary books up on a shelf here, and I'd go through my routine, and I'd memorize these books. And so I memorized three vocabulary books while I was working there, you know, on the the assembly line. I go back to school, and I get pretty much straight A's because I can talk better and I can write better. Oh, that's. And you're a
0: great writer, a great. Well, thank you.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I. Well, I don't consider myself to be, but I write a lot. Oh, you're a great writer. Okay.
0: You and David are both, like, really good writers. Well, thank you. Yes. I remember you telling me the story about working for General Motors, and you're like, the guy would, like, every time he'd spray, I'd get hit with the sprayer. Yeah, yeah
1: I had to go into the, you know, into the job half an hour early to be able to put the tape across here, so all you could see was my eyes, and then it would, after the job was over at the end of the day, you know, it would take me another hour or so to get all the greasy stuff off me, so I mean, a lot of people work on those <laughs> kinds of jobs their entire life here. So I was tremendously motivated that's you know, to, uh, and then fill the time with a learning experience here. So I turned this really unfortunate situation here and I go back and then I graduate. And then by that time, you know, that's 1958 and I'm married and have two kids. So that's given me additional thing. And I, had, I knew nobody in the, in the real estate business, you know, whatsoever. But I'm out looking for a house. You know, we could, we, could, we could buy a house in the San Gabriel Valley or we can, you know, buy in the San Fernando Valley or the South Bay or, or Orange County. So we said, well, Orange County is where we're gonna go. And I, I can't qualify because I'm making $300 a month here as a claims adjuster for an insurance company. But I had a broker's license coming out of uh, UCLA. And I'll be darned if the broker who had just gotten a contract with Lusk to sell his houses says, Well, why don't you go to work for me and put your plans across the hood of your car and take names, which I was very happy to do, and that was on first day was on May of fifteenth of nineteen fifty of uh, 1959
0: I love that you're buying a house and the guy recruits you to sell. And he recruits <laughs> me to sell.
1: So I go to work That's as a sales magic, salesperson. Right and then that's when I, you know, a r- little recap there. I, you know, I realized sales represents the producer. You, you're given something and you sell it. And marketing represents the consumer. You find out what they want and you design to it and you don't have to be a good salesperson. So that was my first lesson. And then, you know, taking the initiative to do a survey of my buyers you know, called the Green Hills Report. And John Lusk is saying, I got this guy that does market studies. Well, I've done one you know, at at that point in time. But that changed the entire uh, trajectory of my career here to get into research and marketing, uh, which I did. And then that led to, you know, a lot of significant jobs here that I've had in my career. It's kind of fun now to thank you for this opportunity. It's kind
0: of- I love it. Yeah, I can- Well, I I think that the one thing that I have heard throughout all of your work experiences, you always did more than what they asked you to do
1: that's always you always, you always really
0: push to mm-hmm. like what's the right thing and i may not have the tools here but i gotta go find them or yeah. create them and, well and that's, and that's exactly
1: that's exactly what happened you know working for lusk there because i saw this need to know more information and on my own initiative did this Green Hills report and that's what John Lusk would say I got this guy to all of his bankers that does market studies and then that led to Sandy Goodkin hired me and that led to meeting Don Brenn and that led to being the marketing director it of the Michigan Hill Company. Yeah it really, so any of the teaching I do in fact you had a question there you know what would you tell young talent I said do more than your job description do work outside of that and take the initiative to do things. If you see a need, fulfill it.
0: I mean, what a legacy you've led! I'll <laughs> look at all the stuff that you've changed. I mean, you have a lot to be proud yeah, of. It's
1: been a good career.
0: It's been a great career. Yeah. You know, I have to add, as we conclude here, that John's secret weapon is his wife, Linda. <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> and, for sure. and she does have like these I just want to know what's in the secret juices and what vitamins you're taking all the time. Because I keep getting older and you just stay the same. <laughs> I, I can't figure it out. But John, I love you. I just can't thank you enough for doing this. And, My pleasure. And I just, uh, you've been a mentor to me and a friend. And I, I can't tell you how many other people would say the same about you. So, thank, thank you. Thank you for joining okay. us. Yes, I love you. Thank you again for joining us. This is Molly Carmichael, and I hope you enjoyed this series. Please hit like if you liked today's broadcast and subscribe if you'd like to hear more from the best and the brightest in our industry. Take care, everyone, and I hope you join us again next time.